Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. The scripture reading today will be from Psalms 51, 1 through 19. That will be page 507 on your pew Bible. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvations and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasures. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and the whole burnt offering. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, 24. That's going to be the next few weeks, right? Signing 23 on everything, saying 23 on everything, and there I've gone and done it publicly. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know if I'll get over myself. But... Anyway, welcome to our guests. Welcome to the great church today. You could not have chosen a better place to be on any given Sunday morning. And we know that after you're through fellowshipping with us and worship to God this morning, you're going to want to pack up everything you own and move from wherever it is you live to somewhere in the vicinity of Laverne, Tennessee, so that you can worship here. Uh, We have more than one family that drives something like an hour to get here on Sunday, and that's a testimony uh, to the fact that this is the place to be. I'm so excited uh, to be beginning our new 2024 theme. Uh, The banners have been ordered. They probably have been delivered, but I haven't seen them. We'll have those up very soon to remind us each week of what our theme is over the course of this year. But there you can see it on the screen. Our theme for the year 2024 is Restore. And today, what we're going to do in kicking off this series is look at a lesson entitled Restoration in Our Relationship with God. 
because I want to introduce the concept of spiritual restoration today. Uh, because all of the series this year are going to relate to it in one way or another, right? Either about personal restoration or about community restoration. Adults understand this. These are basic fundamentals of reality, basic fundamentals of the faith because of that. You were born innocent into a fallen world and into a fallen race. Luke 18, 16, Romans 5, 12. You lived always learning in innocence for a while, while you were a child, always learning in innocence until knowing good and evil, you sinned, Romans 7, 9, Romans 3, 23. And having sinned, you died to God spiritually. You fell short of his glory and you became a sinner. When you became a sinner, you entered into a way of being, a category of life, a box, if you will. You earned a label that you could never get rid of on your own. A status of having bought in, personally having bought in to the fallenness of the human race. You chose the sin of Adam. You chose the sin of Eve as your own. You put it on as a garment and began to live a, social, a sinful life, a rebellious life, a selfish life. This is, brothers and sisters, the reality of our nature as human beings in this fallen world. People are either categorically lost or saved. There is a very clear line in the middle. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area in the eyes of God. Now, I know that many people in the world think of morality as black and white and gray. They think that there's right and there's wrong, and then this, there's this area that each culture, get, culture gets to you know, wrestle with and interpret and decide what they like and what they don't like. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The Bible gives to us the whole counsel of God. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so if there is anything right, anything at all that's right, the Bible shines the light on it and teaches us what that is. If there is anything in the world that is wrong at all, the Bible teaches us what that is. Now, in clear black and white terms, chapters like Romans 14 teach us that there are matters that God is not highly concerned about. And in those areas, he leaves those things to our consciences for the most part. But that doesn't mean those things are a gray area. It means black and white. It's something that God is not primarily concerned about. So don't ever teach anybody that there are gray areas morally. There are none. Whatever is not of faith is sin. That's the conclusion of Romans 14. And so the Bible teaches us that the way to be right with God and thus on the right side of this dividing line between the human race is to be a person who is living by faith. And so those that are lost are categorically separated from God and hopeless. What I mean is that they're, they're in this place. The line is there. It's not moving. It's not changing. And they're on the unfaithful side of that line. Simply put, a person is lost if they are on the unfaithful side, unfaithful to Jesus, if they are on the side of humanity that is unfaithful to Jesus, that soul is lost. I hope that that makes sense. I want to simplify it as much as I can. If a person is saved, it is because they are on the 
faithful to Jesus side of that dividing line that God has drawn down the middle of the human race. It's as simple as that. If you are truly faithful to Jesus, you are in the camp of the saved, the box of the saved, the category of the saved, the side of the human race that is saved because salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. And this faith is not merely believing that Jesus is the Son of God. James teaches us that even the demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and yet they remain demons loyal to Satan and are by no means saved. And so the Bible teaches us that faith requires a response to the grace of God, and that response culminates in the act of being baptized into Christ. We'll say more about that later and as this series continues. But I do want to share with you this little uh, graphic that I've used before in other sermons. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but if any of you got those nice little handy, you know, devices you can take pictures with, if you want to keep that, keep it. Some of you already have it. I can, of course, send it to you if you want it. This is a great thing that you can write down on a napkin across the table in a coffee shop from someone to talk about how someone becomes a Christian. Because there are only two passages in the whole New Testament that talk about getting into Christ specifically, and both of them are about baptism. Now, brothers and sisters, we're not saying that baptism is a work of merit. Far from it. You know that's not what we teach or believe here. We're not saying that, that baptism is something that one can do apart from faith, as if just getting dunked in water is going to make you a Christian. That's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is what the Bible says, that if a person believes, if a person is willing to make Jesus their Lord in repentance, to turn away from self-guided living, and to give Jesus their whole loyalty, if that person will confess their belief in Christ, then upon being baptized, that person is transitioned. Are you listening? When a faithful person, a believer in Jesus, is baptized, immersed in water, symbolic of being buried with Jesus in his death, raised with him in his resurrection, when a person obeys the gospel, and that's what that means, is baptized, the Bible says God transitions them from not being in Christ into Christ. That new baptized believer is now in Christ. Baptism is the biblical dividing line between all who have reached an age of accountability. And baptism thus is the great determiner, according to Scripture, of those who are initially saved and those who are initially lost. And that is then the great restoration because the human race has fallen in rebellion and, and lives in rebellion against God. When the Bible uses the Greek word cosmos, which is usually translated in our English Bibles as world, when the Bible talks about the world or about worldliness or when it talks about the fleshly frame of mind that corresponds to the rebellious will or nature of this world, the Bible is talking about the fact of the vast majority of humans being in rebellion against God and thus they're lost. When we come to Christ, when we're baptized into Christ, we transition into that category and we are restored, restored to God as worthy sons and daughters who love him and have committed to obeying him, following his will, children that he is pleased with. We need to understand that baptism is that great point of the restoration of lost souls to God initially. Let's look at the book of Acts chapter 2. And I want you to see here a message to unbelievers. Now, for those that may not be familiar with Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 is uh, an account of some events that happened historically on the first feast of Pentecost, the first day of Pentecost after Christ had ascended to heaven. 
Now, the Feast of Pentecost was a holy day according to the law of Moses. It was a holy day in Israel. And it occurred 50 days. That's the nature of the Pente, the five, and the Pentecost. It occurred 50 days after Passover. And it corresponded to Passover was the 10th plague when the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage, when God slew the firstborn of all the land of Egypt. But the people of Israel, they put the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, on the door of their house and on the posts of their door. And so the destroying angel passed over their households as he went through the land of Egypt. And so the Israelites were delivered from this death and that occasion there being released from Egyptian bondage. They, they came out, they had the, the situation in the Red Sea and past that, they were truly free. Fifty days after Passover, the people of Israel were surrounding Mount Sinai. God gave them the law. And so Pentecost celebrated the giving of the law of God to the people. It was thus a great fulfillment that 50 days before Acts 2, Jesus had fulfilled the whole symbolism of the Passover by becoming the Lamb of God, the chosen firstborn Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 50 days later, we have on the day of Pentecost, the apostles standing up, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving for the first time the new law, whole and fulfilled by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so this is an extremely important passage for us understanding what it means to be a Christian. It is the passage where the church was first established. And so I want to read a portion. This is when the sermon has culminated. Uh, the gospel has been preached and Peter summarizes here in verse 36. And he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Very clear passage in Scripture where some folks are realizing their sinfulness, realizing their failures and their rebellion, and they ask, what must we do to be saved? I don't know why this is so controversial a question in Christendom today, but notice verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent. Change your mind. Change your loyalties. Give your heart to Jesus. Begin to pursue the mission of Jesus rather than this rebellion, rebellious one that landed you on the wrong side of history. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized, be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then, notice this, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, the beginning of apostolic teaching, shaping the life of the church, the worship of the church, the mission and message of the church. Then fear, that is reverential fear, respect for God, came upon every soul. 
And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, confirming the word that they were speaking. Just as the law of Moses came with signs and wonders, as fire, God's presence and fire settled upon the cap of Mount Sinai, so on Pentecost, tongues of fire settled upon the heads of the apostles. Signs and wonders confirmed that this was in fact the will of heaven that they were communicating and that the gospel is in fact God's honest truth. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the beginning of the church, as I said. The beginning of the New Testament system, it having been completed by the completed ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this is a message to those who were unbelievers. What must an unbeliever, what must a person who has never embraced Christ do? Well, remember, a person who has never embraced faith in Christ is on the wrong side of humanity. Because that line right down the middle of the world, of all people, is faith in Jesus, obedience to Jesus. That's the line. And so a person who has never obeyed the gospel, never put their faith and trust in Jesus, Acts chapter 2 speaks to them just as Peter was speaking to unbelieving Jews as well as others, proselytes and Gentiles who were gathered there to worship God at this feast day. He preached to them what they had to do to be restored to the good graces and favor of God. They had to believe in Jesus as Lord and Christ, repent of their sins, and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what the Bible teaches them to do. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to know a lot. If you just know Acts chapter 2, seriously, if you know Acts chapter 2, you can preach the whole gospel to any lost soul in the world. Just learn that chapter. Learn it and learn how to share it and explain what's going on in that chapter as I've just done here today. And if you weren't paying a lot of attention as I began, I know it's easy to get your attention. Go by online later and listen to it again. And say, okay, good, now I understand Acts chapter 2. I can teach it to somebody else. You see, the pathway to restoration of following humanity to God is first of all through obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, second this morning, a message to believers. We have in the book of 1 John chapter 1 a message to those who are already baptized believers because that's who John is writing to in this letter. We've got to understand the recipients, the context of any of the books of the Bible so that we will interpret them and apply them properly, okay? So look at 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. The apostle John, the beloved of the Lord Jesus, says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So brothers and sisters, just because you've been baptized into Christ, if you think that you don't have an obligation to live for Jesus, you've misunderstood the gospel. You can be baptized into Christ and then walk in darkness if that's what you choose to do. And John, of course, the Holy Spirit through John, is trying to encourage us not to make that mistake, to understand that being baptized is the beginning of our journey with the Lord. And we need to walk with Him, a metaphor for living our lives daily in covenant relationship with Him, in obedience and loyalty to Him. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. All right? So if we walk in the light 
as he is in the light. In other words, what, what does that mean? The light, of course, is the truth of God. It's honesty. It's sound doctrine. It's loyalty. It doesn't mean perfection. Of course, Christ dwells in the light perfectly. He never sinned in any way. The Bible is very clear. That's not true of us. Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James teaches us that we all stumble in many ways, and that's something that we continue to do in spite of our best efforts. Romans 7 testifies to this. But brothers and sisters, it is not okay with God for you not to try. Listen, please. This is going to be a theme this year over and over again. It is not okay with God. And it is an improper and unacceptable response to the great sacrifice of Christ for any person not to try their best to be perfect. Let's just sit in that for a minute. You've not yet been restored as you ought to be restored if you just said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I need to do better. Of course you need to do better. The question is, how better do you need to do? That's the question. And again, I, I know it's easy for folks to get misguided and to misunderstand here. In no sense has any sound preacher of the gospel ever in any way intimated, implied, or otherwise communicated that you've got to somehow achieve a high level of perfection in order to be saved. That is absolutely false doctrine to say this. That's not what I'm talking about. When you come to faith in Christ and believe in his sacrifice and give yourself to confess and obey the gospel, and as long as you continue to pursue him and to strive to be faithful to him, the blood of his son in the Greek tense here is an ongoing tense. When it says cleanses, it's not a one-time cleansing. If we will continue to be faithful to Jesus, this is the meaning of this passage. If we will continue to be faithful to Jesus, the blood of his son continually cleanses us from all sins. It's always cleansing us. What it means to walk in the light is to be exposed before him. Not to pretend to be something that I'm not. To be absolutely loyal to him in every way. Confessing my sins. Notice as the passage continues. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But notice this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and notice this word, don't forget it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Just? Yeah, justice. It's justice for God to forgive the sin of a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus' sacrifice has already paid that price in full. That's why it's justice. So when as a Christian you confess your sins to God and pray for his continual washing and cleansing to forgive you of your sins, just as this passage teaches us, it's not something God does reluctantly. It's not something he puts conditions on. Yes, if you go get yourself a whip and lock yourself in the closet and beat yourself four or five times, then I'll forgive you. Unfortunately, some of our brethren in the past period of times have thought about God's grace in that way. But this passage teaches us that nothing could be farther from the truth, right? Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's just for God to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the grace of God is, in fact, our motivator, our cleanser, and it's our basis for being able to grow in Christ and to serve him better as we go. He again says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar in his word is not in us. So just taking this great passage and kind of summarizing it, 
It teaches us that there are conditions that we must continue to meet to be faithful people. These are the conditions of what faith actually looks like. And so fellowship with God or being faithful is continuing to practice the truth. It is to walk in the light. That is to live our lives according to the Word of God. And the, the Word of God doesn't say you've got to achieve perfection in this life or you're going to be lost. It just says keep on getting up, keep on repenting, keep on moving upward and onward in your service to Jesus. And if you do that, His blood will forever continually cleanse you from your sins. That's what the Bible teaches in this passage. It teaches us that we are to fellowship one another. In other words, the idea that I was baptized into Christ and now I'm saved that I'm a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with the community of believers called the church because I've somehow been infected with this ridiculous idea that organized religion is a great evil. And of course, it's only evil people that are promoting that idea, so please don't listen to it. And we've got to confess our sins. Being in fellowship with God is continuing to walk in the light, part of which means I say, Lord, I know I'm not what I ought to be. And I continue to bow my knee to you because I know that it's only through your grace that I will ever be that. And as we do that, brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God continues to work, continues to work through providence and continues to work through his word to further transform us and to change us and perfect us, and it's a beautiful thing. But brothers and sisters, if you do not practice the truth, if you stop living a biblical life, if you bow to deception that comes from Satan, that comes from the mentality of those in the world, if you walk in darkness rather than in the light, if you fail the family, I don't mean that you made a mistake and you failed a brother. We all fail each other sometimes, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. But if you decide that you don't have an obligation to the family of God and so fail to fulfill your duty to the church, or if you live life in denial of your sinfulness, of the great and deep and essential need that you have for the blood of Jesus Christ, then you have fallen from grace. And I do realize that today all over the world there are pulpits that are filled by lovers of Jesus who have rich Bible knowledge, who have been deceived by what they call uh, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And they believe that once a person becomes a Christian, it is absolutely impossible for them to fall from grace ever again. And I think you'll begin to see as we proceed through the rest of this lesson that that could not be farther from the truth. Now, I do want to say here that falling away from Jesus is not something that people flippantly do or accidentally do. Jesus hasn't made the life lived in, faithful, in faithfulness to him so difficult that we're constantly stumbling and falling out of salvation. And even as a Christian, if you sin, even intentionally sometimes in a state of weakness, it doesn't mean that you're constantly lost, saved, lost, saved. That's not what we're talking about. And I know there are some folks, there are preachers that have preached that too, and that's not true. But there is a willful decision to violate the Word of God. Or there is a willful decision to rebel against Jesus. There is the willful decision to no longer believe in the gospel. And these are things that sadly people do all the time, decisions that people make all the time. And when someone makes the decision to rebel against Jesus, they fall from grace. Jesus will not force a Christian to remain faithful. And so this makes us to realize that there are times in which a person who has once been restored to the family of God, having been an alien sinner, through the process of obeying the gospel, through being baptized into Christ, there are situations in life in which a person who once walked with the Lord righteously has willfully fallen into sin and need to be restored again to the grace of God. 
And when we talk about restoration in a spiritual context in the church, this is usually what we're talking about. We don't usually use the word restoration for one's baptism, but it's true, and I wanted to introduce that today. But what we usually mean in the church when we say that someone needs to be restored is we mean that a person who once was walking faithfully with the Lord has turned away and rebelled and fallen into sin, and they need to be brought back into the light. They need to be brought back to the belief in and obedience of the truth. They need to restore their loyalty to Jesus and the practice of life that is consistent with that. And that's why we have in Acts chapter 8 a message for a particular believer. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to page 973 if you're following in the Pew Bible. If you're following in any other way, Acts 8, verses 1 through 24, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I want to read these 24 verses because I want you to get the context and the story, and it won't take long, but just uh, listen very carefully to this particular instance in the, in the early days of the establishment of the church in the book of Acts. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that's Stephen's death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now God allowed persecution. Saul, who would eventually become, thank God, the Apostle Paul, to lead this terrible persecution against the church. Stephen, the martyr, was murdered for the sake of the testimony of the gospel. And it seemed like everything was going wrong. And where was God in all of this? But God was just fanning the flame, blowing it out. Because blowing out, not as in blowing it out, but blowing it out into the regions around Jerusalem. And so uh, we pick up then in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, the only thing Peter was, uh, or Philip was preaching was says he preached Christ. And now we come to verse 12, and we see that the result of preaching Christ is people being baptized. I want you to recognize that. Verse 13, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. In other words, Simon was one of these really cool dudes that had great sleight of hand tricks, and he could trick people into thinking that he had great power. And uh, the folks believed that what he was doing were really miracles. But when he saw the actual works being done by the hands of the apostles and the miracle workers in the early church, just like the uh, Egyptian magicians had said about Moses, he recognized this is the hand of God. Okay, he realized this was something that he could not do. These were true and real miracles. Verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had, had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That is in a miraculous or supernatural measure. Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. You need to highlight that passage in your Bibles. Listen, he offered them money. He offered them money. Now you may say, awesome for the apostles, right? This was not awesome at all. If you consider what's being done here, you will realize what a great betrayal of everything that Jesus stands for this act was on Simon's part. It was a betrayal of Jesus and everything he stands for in favor of the way that people in the world think. People in the world think that money is everything, that money can buy anything, and that ultimately anybody can be bought. You've just got to find out what their price is. And nothing could be more blasphemous against the Spirit of our God. My brothers and sisters, I hope deeply that it's true about you that at least with regard to your loyalty to Jesus, you cannot be bought at any price because you've already been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now listen to verse 20. Well, let's see, verse 19. So Simon said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Now what we find here in Acts chapter 8 is the first time in the early life of the church that we know of a person who has been baptized as an act of faith, which he certainly was, who has thus been restored out of fallen humanity back into the graces of God, into the favor of his God and Father, who is now by apostolic statement. Listen, I don't care what teachers you've had in life that have taught you about the perseverance of the saints if you've been taught that doctrine. According to the apostles of Jesus Christ, Simon had sinned so grievously. He had violated the covenant that he had entered into in Jesus so grievously that Peter said, you have no part or portion in this matter. He said, your money perish with you. In other words... My brother, you just died spiritually again. Now think about it, because that's exactly what these words implied. If you think that you cannot fall from grace, if you so choose to do, you have greatly misunderstood the Word of God. God requires faithfulness on the part of those that he saves. He requires it. And so in this context, Simon needed to be restored again. But you notice in the passage that there is no mention anywhere of him being rebaptized. 
That's not what he was told. Well, your baptism must not have took. <laughs> That's not what he said. He didn't say, oh, Simon, your baptism must not have took. That's it. That's, you'd have never have thought this way if your baptism had took. You need to go get baptized again. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. Simon didn't even uh, think that he needed to go be rebaptized. He said, please pray for me that, that what you've said may not come upon me. In other words, that I might be forgiven for thinking that I could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money, which is blasphemy against God and against the Holy Spirit. That's, yeah, that's something to think about right there for those of you that are Bible scholars. All right? But you see what I'm saying here. Sinners who've never come to Christ, they must be baptized. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. We read Acts 2, 37 through 39. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Uh, those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ or been clothed with Christ. And so baptism is the place that through faith, one enters into the status of faithfulness through obey, obeying the gospel. One has not become a Christian until he or she has been baptized into Christ, not according to the word. But on the other hand, Christians, those who have once been baptized, who then later return to sin, they don't need to be restored to new humanity or restored and become members of the church again. They're already members of the church. They're simply unfaithful or wayward members of the church. In other words, once you change categories from being in the world to being in Christ, from being an alien sinner, from being in the church. That status will never be undone. It doesn't mean that God will regard you as faithful. It, it means that you will be living again if you fall from grace in the way of the world. But you will never again just be a person who's never heard of Jesus. You will be an unfaithful Christian, a disobedient son or daughter of God, a wayward member of the church, and you will not need to be rebaptized. You will need to be restored to the status of obedience or faithfulness to the truth by first returning to proper faith and practice and then returning to the teaching of 1 John that we read by confessing your sins to God and asking to be forgiven and restored. And following that pattern of Acts chapter 8, we have long in the history of the church had these front pews open. Every time I give the invitation, I call out for those who have come to an age of accountability, who believed in the gospel but have not yet obeyed it, to come forward and submit to baptism for forgiveness of sins. And every service that I teach in any way at all in the public assembly, we also say that if you are a believer that needs the prayers of this church, then the front pews are open for you. And that may be just a smaller thing in your life. You're struggling with something. You're concerned or worried about something, and that's good. But it's also an opportunity for someone who has sinned in a way that violates covenant relationship with Jesus, that has turned his or her back on Jesus, that has rebelled against the word of Jesus, to come forward and receive the prayers of their church leaders and to be restored into the good grace of Jesus our Lord. So please understand when we talk about restoration, this is what we ultimately mean. I want you to look at three passages as we close this, our thoughts today and just hear what they have to say. And I'm going to ask you to really internalize these passages and ask yourself as we read them and think about them quickly and what this means for me and what it would look like for me to put these passages into practice given the background of doctrine I've shared with you this morning. 2 Corinthians 13 beginning in verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves. Again, this is a letter to Christians, not to alien sinners in the world. This is a letter to Christians. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may do no wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't, ultimately, I don't care what you think about me or my associates. What I care about is your genuine obedience that is moving in the direction of Christ's perfection all the time. He says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Listen, your restoration is what we pray for. That's what Paul says. Do you see that? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we need to be seeking to restore brothers and sisters we know of that have fallen away from a right practice. We need to be looking for them, searching for them, leaving the 90 and 9 as the good shepherd does to find that one sheep that has gone astray. Brothers and sisters, that's what the parable means. It's a parable about spiritual restoration. And finally, James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. How powerful is that? Brothers and sisters, as we close our thoughts this morning, having introduced our theme, the first sermon of, of it this year, I want to ask us all that over the course of this year, we would be keeping three things in mind, three things in mind. First of all, the importance of testing ourselves every single day to see whether we're in the faith. So that when, when our practice, when our thought process, when our way of speaking, when our actions begins to drift from the standard of the word, we're going to correct, constantly course correct. Take heed to yourself then to others. Make sure you don't have a beam in your own eye before you start trying to pick specks out of the eyes of your brothers and sisters. Number two, please realize, are you listening? Please realize, in our community, within communication distance of each of us, each of us is at least a handful of souls precious to our Lord that were once baptized into Christ and came out of the water rejoicing, but since then they have become casualties to Satan's lies. And they desperately need to be restored. You know who I'm talking about? Can you think of people in your life? Maybe in your family? Number three, brothers and sisters. And listen, men, those who will lead prayers from the lectern here, the pulpit, the microphones, I'm asking you, pray for the lost sheep of Christ every time we pray this year. Let's ask God to magnify our ministry as a congregation that the souls who have known salvation in Christ but who have wandered away from the faith, 
that are within communication distance of us, that God will let us see many of them in this assembly this year coming forward to be restored to the good grace of Christ. Can we commit together to pray for our lost brothers and sisters this year? I'm asking you to do it. I'm going to be doing it. And now it's time for the invitation. This morning, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you know what sin is, you understand good and evil, and you know that you've failed God, and you haven't obeyed the gospel, confessing Christ, making the decision and repentance to turn from your sin, obeying the commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. This opportunity is yours. You will change categories forever when you do it. You will be restored into the family of God. This morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, either for strength or for restoration, come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.